Questions like, why did this occur? How did this happen? What is going on? All of those questions have their place and are reasonable uh, questions to ask. But at times when we are dealing with the devastation of a trial of our life, they become the focus. And folks get so overwhelmed and stuck and enslaved in a prison by trying to figure out, why did this occur to me? And they begin to focus on assigning blame to God, to another person, to themselves, and they stay right in the midst of the devastation of their life. Just like those who were faced with the devastation of Hurricane Katrina, we must make the same three choices in that order for us to be able to see God do the impossible through the devastation of our lives. And so tonight, tomorrow, And Sunday, I'd like to address each of those choices that we need to make in dealing with the devastation of our life. It's so easy just to look and observe what's going on and make statements about that. My life is messed up. My life is ruined. My life is over. But God desires for us to choose to continue to live. That's what I'd like to talk to you tonight about. You see our passage in Psalm 90. Many Bible teachers believe that this was penned after Moses had struck the rock. Now, to give you a little Bible history here, we know that Moses was the leader of Israel. He was the one that was raised in the house of Pharaoh. And then, because of a choice that he made in avenging the hurt of one of his own countrymen, he fled into uh, Midian uh, to uh, get away from the wrath of Pharaoh. And there, he uh, uh, met Jethro, uh, a a herder uh, of goats and sheep. There he was married and began a job of taking care of the herds. And that is where he was confronted by God in the burning bush, who told him that he needed to go to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go. And we know that he uh, gave excuse and tried to uh, wiggle his way out of that responsibility because of inadequacies that he viewed himself as having. But God kept encouraging him to do what he asked of him. And so Moses, by faith, went uh, to Pharaoh. We know the story. He went several times, many times, and told Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh refused. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God, in turn, hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And uh, God began to pour out his judgment onto Egypt, bringing Egypt to a place where they wanted uh, Israel out. 
So we know that uh, after the uh, last plague, the tenth plague of the death angel, which uh, created the memorial of the Passover feast for the Jews and how they would honor God and what he did for them in sparing the, the firstborn when the blood was applied uh, to the house. And they, they, they were expelled out of Egypt, went to the Red Sea. God miraculously provided salvation for them going across the Red Sea on dry ground. And there they were going to go into the promised land. But we know because of their unbelief, because of their hard-heartedness in not trusting God to do for them what they thought was impossible... The spies were sent in. You may have heard the little uh, children's church song, you know, ten were bad and two were good. And the spies, uh, ten brought back an evil report. Two came back, Joshua and Caleb, and said, look, we can go, we can go now. God is able. He brought us out of Egypt. He took us across the Red Sea. He led us here. He can do the impossible. Let's go. But the ten said, no, we're not going to go. And God judged Israel because of that to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And there, trial after trial, uh, God allowed into the lives of the Pharisees to purge them of those who had an unbelieving heart to prepare them for the promised land. We know that previously, before they went to the promised land the first time, God provided uh, water from a rock by Moses being told to strike it. But after these things had occurred, they were in another situation where they needed water. And uh, God told Moses to speak to the rock. And Moses, in turn, hit the rock out of frustration, out of anger, because of the people's complaining. Because of that act of choice of disobedience, God told Moses, Mo, you're not going to be able to go. Not going into the promised land. Conservatively, Moses was about 80 years old-ish at the time. And so, many Bible teachers believe that Moses wrote this psalm after that uh, instance, that circumstance had occurred. And for sake of time, the first part of the uh, passage deals with the brevity and the sinfulness of man. But it also deals with the eternality and the strength of God. Showing us a stark contrast by the way of we looking, the way that we look at things, the way that we perceive things, and the way that God sees things, the way that we do things, and the way that God does things. And tonight, I'm going to, I desire to confront and challenge each and every one of us 
to think past the natural. But to look at things through the eyes and perspective of faith. To see the brevity and the sinfulness of our own selves. But also see the eternality and the strength of God. Because when it comes to the trials of life, naturally we can look at things and just focus on the devastation. Life will never be the same. I've heard it over and over again. My life is over. Why do I need to continue to live? Why should I go on? Who cares? What's the difference? And the pressure of that situation encourages us to believe the, that, that, that lie. I remember years ago, uh, after I had been going through some things, I began attending a new church. And one of the gentlemen in our church, who was, the, who was a deacon, came up to me and he said, Jason, I'd love to take you out to dinner. And so we went out to dinner to eat. And I remember sitting there at a restaurant and this gentleman, such he, he, he loves the Lord. He wanted to be a help. He wanted to be an encouragement. And he told me, he said, Jason, he said, man, I feel so, so bad for you. My heart goes out to you. He says, you didn't just lose a job. You lost your identity. And I sat there and I thought, wow, you know, he's right. And for the greater part of 10 years, I believed that lie. You see, I had traveled in full-time evangelism, traveled all over the country, preached in different churches and Bible colleges and this, that, and the other, and difficulty touched my life. And I was no longer doing that. And I had bought the lie and believed that my identity came from what I did. But in reality, my identity doesn't come from that. My identity comes from Christ. From what He tells me that I am in Him. And once I began to see things from that perspective, you know what? People may say, things may happen, but I need to continue to live. Why? Because God is giving me life. You see, it's not over till it's over. It's just not. And when those people there in uh, New Orleans or in Texas or in Mississippi looked at the devastation of their life, yes, what they knew of their life had changed forever. 
but they needed to continue to, to, to live. They had to find food. They had to find water. They had to find clothes. They needed to continue to move on and move forward with their life in just breathing. And at times when the pressures of life that are, that are on us and, and the devastation is, is so overwhelming around us, we have to take a step back and do that which is most primal. And that is just breathe. And realize, okay, God, you are here. You are here. I am not alone. You are eternal. You are strong. I am weak and transient. My life and strength can may last 70 years. Or it may not. But you're here. And you're strong. And I have my identity in you. And I need to continue to live. It's not over when you go through a divorce. It's not over when your life lays financially in ruin. When that family member turns their back on you. You have a child that lives in such a way that is not pleasing to the Lord nor you. When you're giving that diagnosis... It's not the end. Listen, not yet. You see, Moses had a ministry of 120 years, 40 years. 40 years, 40 years. He still had 40 years of ministry left to communicate, to lead the nation of Israel through the wanderings of the wilderness so that they could be ready for the promised land. His life, his ministry was not over. And your life and your ministry is not over. God is not dead. He is still on the throne. And the difficulty and the devastation that each and every one of us faces, God is desiring to use that. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an author in his book, Spiritual Depression, states that many in the world do not respect Christians because of how they deal with difficulty. They do not want to be Christians. They do not look at those who are Christians with much respect because when Christians, many of us, when we go through difficulty, we act no different than the world around us. Our faith doesn't change our approach to these things. And so therefore, if we say we believe in a God that can do the impossible, if we say that we believe a God that can take uh, something that is totally dysfunctional and messed up and make something great out of it, then why do we not live our lives like that? 
I'm not saying that we can't be human, because we are. And I'm not saying that we won't have our moments, because we will. But, can we see God and trust Him in the midst of all of these matters? Because we still have a life to live. You see, if we're going to deal with these difficulties, we need to continue to live. Moses did, and he gives to us some awesome, wonderful, tangible help in Psalm 90. Let's take a look here. Look down in verse number 10. He says, The days of our, our years are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Again, speaking of the brevity of our life. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even so according to thy fear, so it is thy wrath. And here Moses is asking God for his mercy. Verse number 12. There's that, uh, that conjunction. So teach us our days. Time you see the word that in the Bible, the word that is there for a reason. The word that is there to give us the purpose The reason for that being there is the reason. It's the purpose. And so he says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. As you look at the words in this this verse and you begin to break them up and and see uh, what they mean, The word teach carries the idea of to distinguish or to perceive. The word number means to uh, weigh or to count or to enumerate. And so here we're being encouraged to distinguish, to think through, to enumerate, to take a catalog of our days When? In the devastation of our life. When everything around us is not what we want it to be. And he says, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And the word apply is such a neat word. It means to come and go as a filling of a void. And we may apply wisdom. You know, in the difficulties of our lives, we feel that something is missing. We don't have it within us. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it. And so when we choose to continue to live, when we choose to look to God and say, okay, God, all right, love there didn't work. Divorce papers are coming. Okay, 
Got to face cancer head on. All right, I'm headed to jail. Nothing I can do about it. It is what it is. I messed up. Okay. All right. Hey, creditors are still calling. Here we go. When we look to the, to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, now what? Because I don't have it. I'm empty. I'm done. I'm out. I do not have the strength or the ability within me, so I am going to go to you to get it. To fill up. What void is in my life? And it is when our life lies in devastation that we begin to question and say, what's going on? Lord, are you there? Lord, now what? What do you want me to do? Because when we're sitting on easy street and there's money in the bank, your marriage is strong and vibrant and close. When your health is, well, good, We may think in our own strength and ability, I got this. I'm all good. And so it's when that trial blows into our life and we're left in the devastation that we can see, you know what, I need something from God that I don't have. And so here, Moses is encouraging us says, teach us to number our days. Recognize that we need to think through and go to God to get what we need from Him. And then the next, next verse goes on to say, Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy. And the word satisfy means to fill or have enough to suffice. So when we don't have what we need to deal with these things and we get it from God, He can fill us up with a new perspective and a new way to look at things, a new approach, a new lens to see life through. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy. What's the next word? That. Why? that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Hmm. Right. Sure, God. I told you a few moments ago I wanted to confront and challenge you with a completely different way of looking at things. So, when life's trials come, naturally, what do we do? We'll talk about this in the days ahead. We don't like to suffer. Who does? We don't like the pain. Who does? But it is through the suffering and the pain that we are made perfect like Christ. 
That's what the Bible says about the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So if I ask you, as you have walked your difficulties, do those around you see Christ as your source of getting what you need so that in the midst of these difficulties, you can rejoice You say, well, I don't want to rejoice. I'm going through a divorce. I don't want to rejoice. I'm going through financial ruin. I don't want to rejoice. My family member just died. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that in the midst midst of these trials, we can go to God to give us the strength that we need. We can rejoice in Him, that He is enough, that He will help us to continue to live because we have a life. We have a ministry that lies before us that if we do not deal with things the way God wants us to, we're going to miss out on. Moses could have sat there and said, hey, you can go to the promised land. Josh, Joshua, Caleb, you go ahead and lead them. I'm going back to Midian. I'm done. I'm out. Drop the mic. Done. No. Do you think Moses forgot that day that he struck the rock? As he stood there on Mount Ebo, God said, here, this is what you could have had. And Moses could say, but this is where I led them. This was the same man who when they wanted uh, water and complained, when they wanted food and complain that they uh, attacked him. What had he done? Nothing but lead them. They were being critical and unkind to him and he was like, no Lord, don't kill them. Kill me instead. And so what we can rejoice about in the midst of our trials is that we still have a life to live and God is the source of all we need to live it well. You see, so many people live their life and asking the question, why did God allow bad things to happen to good people? That's a reasonable question. And I'm not smart enough to give you a specific answer. I can give you a general answer. Adam and Eve sinned, sin came in the world, death by sin, and death brings suffering, and because of sin and death being in the world, we have pain, and we have difficulty, and we have issues with each other, and with those around us, and with life. Okay, that's why. But can I tell you why specifically you've gone through the things that you've gone through? No way, Jose, I can't do that. I'm not God. And nor is anyone else. And so many people spend their tires trying to figure out why or how did this occur. And that has its place. And so they want to be able to assign a certain blame here or a certain blame there. That was their fault. That was their fault. That was my fault. And that's what they focus on. Instead of saying, okay, wait a minute here. I need to continue to live. Now what do I do? 
Now that the devastation is there, now that the house is blown to bits, now that things are what they are, I need to continue to live. I have to survive. And I'm told to number my days, realizing that I can go to God to get everything I need that will be enough to satisfy me in the midst of my difficulty. But he's not done. He goes on to say in verse number 15, Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us. Wow. And the years wherein we have seen evil. As Moses, I'm sure, stood there in Mount Nebo and looked back, he could say, hey, I struck the rock. Well, what happened? Water came out. I remember that time, they wanted meat. They were like, meat, 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 give me meat, meat, meat. God gave them so much quail, it came out their nose, the Bible says. Wow, God did that. He did that. Oh, yeah, and at Rephidim, I spoke to the rock and water came out there. Oh, yeah, and there was that battle. You know, the Amalekites, they came out and they wanted to fight us. And I, I said, okay, I'm going to hold my arms up with, the, with my rod. And if my hands are up, we'll win. If they go down, and you remember that? And then Aaron and Hur came and held, the, held his hands up and brought a rock. And they saw a great victory that day. And as we look back on our lives, we can say, God did this, and God did that, and God did this, and God did that. God was my source, and yes, it hurt. And yes, it was hard, but God helped me to continue to live. He wasn't done. So why should I be? You see, I didn't lose my identity. I came through my trials to understand my identity. My standing was not what everybody thought about me or what people were saying about me. My identity was in the fact that I had trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. He had cleansed my sin. He had washed me clean. And I am His Son, eternally destined for heaven. And now I was walking through a difficulty that I had some people watching how I was going to deal with it. Because for the greater part of a decade, I was doing this. I was preaching and telling people what the Bible says. And now every single sermon that I had ever preached was going to be tested whether I believed it to be true or not. Because all of that wasn't relative anymore because I wasn't a preacher at the time. I was just Jason. 
child of God, Christian, just like you. So whatever that trial may be, whatever that difficulty may be, God desires for us to rejoice in Him seeing along the path all that He does in and through the difficulties as we get what we need from Him to deal with it. He goes on to say, Let thy work, verse 16, appear unto thy servants. The word appear means to see, to advise oneself, to gaze. Let thy, let thy work appear unto thy servants. Let what God is doing in the circumstances, in the situations, in your life as you deal with it, in my life as I deal with it, let people see. Ma'am? Sir? Whatever it is you face, can your husband or wife or family, can your friends see Christ as you deal with it? You don't know what they did to me. No, no, I don't. You don't know what I've been through. You're right, I don't. You don't know what I've been through. We have no excuse. Because Christ did that for us. Lastly, here in the verse 17, he says, And let the the beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us. What an awesome statement. Let the beauty of the Lord be upon us. You see, when we walk through the trials and the difficulties of faith, uh, of our lives, with, by faith, we can see the beauty of the Lord our God upon us. Others can see the beauty and attractiveness rather than, whoa, hello. But isn't that how it normally is? When we go through difficulty, we get grumpy, hateful, unkind. We lash out, attack, spread our situation to gain allies on our side against the enemy. And is that beautiful? Does that bring honor and glory to God? No. You see, the trying of our faith worketh patience. And patience is, is if you look at the Bible word, it's a, a cheerful endurance. That's what the word means. And so our faith is literally being lived out. Literally lived out. And so is our faith, when it's tested, beautiful? 
Moses is saying, and let the beauty of our God be upon us. And and, and the last part of this verse is absolutely awesome. He says, and establish thou the work of our hands. Notice that. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Because when we go through trials and difficulties and we want to continue, we're going to continue to live one way or another. What what kind of life are we building? Because we are going to establish the means to construct or erect or build. Build, build. And so here... He's stating, and established thou the work of our hands upon us. So the work that we're doing, we're going to be reaping what we're sowing as we deal with these difficulties. So as we're walking through them, the work that we're doing, what we are building, is it something that is beautiful? Because God is the source and He's helping us to rejoice in Him that He is there to enable us to continue to live, to look at things not in uh, a legal manner or a fleshly manner or in a family matter, but in a scriptural way. I say this on purpose. When you go through difficulty, especially when in our society today, and you have to employ the usage uh, of legal counsel, they're going to tell you all kinds of things. And so it's easy for someone to dictate and make decisions based on the legal counsel they receive. Seems like. They have a lot of pressure from family. They may or may not approve of your decisions. They may or may not be on your side. They may say positive things or negative things. There's pressure there. And their counsel and advice is what people make decisions by many times. Legal counsel, family counsel, or your own heart. They're not going to get by with that. They're going to talk to me that way. They did this, okay, gloves off, let's go. I'm not going to take this sitting down. And so our flesh, people who surround us, reasonable counsel, gets elevated and that determines what we do and God is nowhere to be found. And many times the uh, uh, trials and difficulties that we face are far more complicated because we do things in those arenas following those counsels rather than going to God and saying, okay, Lord, now what do you want me to do? All right, Lord. I'm going through this situation. I'm being sued. What do I do? Did you know the Bible talks about that? But what Jesus said to do is not popular or very um, good legal advice. 
Jesus says, give him your coat and your cloak. Doesn't make sense. I know. Why do you want to do that? You're crazy. Don't you know you have rights? What does God say? How does God want me to deal with it? So we call ourselves Christians. And when we go through the most difficult times in our lives, God is nowhere to be found. And our lives are not the beautiful trophy of the strength and eternality of God that he desires it to be. The people that faced Hurricane Katrina, when they came out of the Superdome, when they came back to their, to their, their town where they lived, they saw the devastation. They were confronted with a choice. Okay, now what do I do? I can sit here and stare at this all day, but what's it going to change? I can sit here and ask how or why did this happen? Okay, but what good does that do? What does it change? How does it help? That doesn't put the house back together. It doesn't uh, uh, hit the rewind button and the hurricane gets sucked back into uh, the uh, uh, Gulf of Mexico. We've got to continue to live. So if I could ask you this question in closing. As you continue to live, I trust that you will choose to continue to live. How are you living? Are you numbering your days so that you can apply your heart to wisdom? Is God your source to fill up whatever void is there to create and build a life that is beautiful because of all he has done. May God help us. Let's bow for prayer.